It's often a bit mystifying how brands magically go viral overnight. Sometimes they make it big, and other times they crash and burn. Is the road to brand fame and a bump to the bottom line worth the risk? I'm Alexis. And I'm Melissa. And we're just a little obsessed with these marketing moments. So join us as we break down the craziest brand stunts, from how the idea sparked to how the heck they pulled it off. Or didn't, and of course, will it stick? Good morning, Melissa. Good morning, Alexis Crisay. <laughs> Hi. Hi. How are you feeling this morning? Are you feeling spicy? Oh, I mean, I could be. Are you feeling sexy? I mean, I could be. <laughs> what, are, what are we doing? <laughs> well, how do you feel about lingerie? I mean, I love it in concept. I just sometimes, when you get to that moment... Like, you're really going to put all that shit on? And then just, like, question. take it off two seconds later? It's like, I mean, I love the idea. I truly do. And I have a bunch, and I, like, I love to get all cute and all that. But, like, it just seems like a lot of work when you just, like, have 10 minutes before the kids <laughs> are going to come pounding on your door. Well, today we are talking about a brand that once defined femininity for millions. Wow, of- hang on. I want you to pause there. I just want to give you major props because that's a hard word to say. I know. I said it like 10 times before. Femininity. Yeah. It was kind of like Dory's CNN me. <laughs> <laughs> but this brand, like for millions of American women, just made them feel sexy. Do you know what brand we're talking about today? I think so. I think it's Victoria's Secret. It's Victoria's Secret. <sighs> you know what's crazy about Victoria's Secret? I remember it being like such an important brand when I was like younger, like junior high, high school, like we went to the mall, you always went in there with your friends. Like it was the cool place to shop and I don't see it anywhere anymore. Well, and you know what's crazy about that is that was even before pink. So pink really came out later and it appealed to that age group. Yeah. But when we were teenagers and in high school, they only had the traditional Victoria's Secret and it was like cool to go in there and get like cool underwear. And yeah. I, I mean, I just remember Victoria's Secret was like the it brand. Getting fitted for like your bra and it was like you were all embarrassed because like that was your first time doing it, that you was know? first time. But they also, right when you walked in, they would ask you, do you need to get fitted? Like the professionalism of the staff was always just on par, right? Yeah, totally. Actually, my sister worked at Victoria's Secret in high school. She was the number one credit card pusher in the state of Arizona. She would like could rock selling totally you a credit card up for the Victoria's Secret credit card. I never had it. I was I never did. Oh yeah, you were the conservative. Yeah. <laughs> well, I first before we dive into the history, I have a really embarrassing Victoria's Secret story to tell you. Oh, this is a safe place. So okay. Well, first of all, I hope my father-in-law is not listening. So if you are listening, please fast forward because I hope you forgot this moment. Or mother-in-law, please both fast forward. Okay, so it was the first time I was going to meet Wes's family. I thought you were going to say it was the first time you were going to have sex. Oh, no, no. Okay, wait. Maybe we shouldn't go there. (laughs) No, no. No, I won't go there. It was the first time that I was going to meet Wes's parents, and we both flew back to Pennsylvania. I remember them picking us up at the airport. We get home. I hadn't met Chelsea yet. And here I am, which Wes probably already made fun of me. Like, here's the Cali girl coming to Pennsylvania, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And of course, his sister was so cute. Like, what do you want to do? 
And what do I always like to do? Shop. Shop. Especially in a new place where you're like, I have to blend in with these Pennsylvania people. And I just always heard of this department store, Bonton. So I had to see what Bonton was. It's like Dillard's, but I just think that's a funny name. (laughs) So we went to the mall. And of course, I didn't recognize any stores in that mall, but I did recognize Victoria's Secret. So Chelsea and I went in, like we shopped, we kind of did our own thing because I just met her. So I wasn't really comfortable like showing her my underwear. And, you know, I did my purchase, she did her purchase, and then we went back to the house. So we're eating dinner, and all of a sudden, they're like, Nikki, which Nikki's their dog, is under the table. What is Nikki chewing on? Oh, no. Nikki had not only one of my underwear, it was like the trashiest song (laughs) that I could have bought from Victoria's Secret, which, you know, I probably bought, you know, buy five, get for 25 bucks. But it was like trashiest song, and... Guy, Wes's dad, legit pulls it out of the dog's mouth, hanging it over the dinner table. And I'm like, my face is, this is my face, like (laughs) mortified. I felt like I was going to throw up and Wes just starts laughing. (laughs) I don't even remember what Pat did. I think Chelsea was mortified like, oh my God, do they even know what these types of underwear are? (laughs) And I quickly grabbed it. And then I ran to the room and I Wes like followed me. I'm like, oh my God. Did you stay in the room? I was like, should I go home now? And then it just became this joke. But yeah, it was that, one of the most embarrassing moments in my life, I have to say. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty crazy. So well, you're still married today. And- we're still married and I think they still like me, hopefully. <laughs> so, all right, let me give you some history on Victoria's Secret. So Victoria's Secret got its start in 1977 by an American businessman, Roy Raymond. I love how it's always a man. I know. Interesting, right? Well, Roy wanted both men and women to be comfortable shopping for lingerie at high-end stores because Raymond went to go buy some lingerie for his wife and he walked into this department store and he just felt like really uncomfortable. And not only conversing with the salesperson, but he felt like the way everything was displayed, this underwear and lingerie, it just didn't do women justice. He felt like lingerie should be something that's sophisticated and it was intimate and it kind of just needed this level of privacy, not just in the middle of the department store and where he was like walking around with underwear feeling uncomfortable or the lingerie. Mm -hmm. So he imagined something that was way more elegant that was kind of like Victorian boudoirs, like, Mm. you know, back in England, this really elaborate store with colors and just, but also comfortable. Mm -hmm. So what did Roy do? He borrowed $40,000 from his parents and got a $40,000 loan and started the first lingerie only store. Wow. So he only had 80 grand? 80 grand. And that's all it cost in the 70s to, in to start a store? Where, what market did it start in New York? It started in San Francisco. Okay. So the brand was meant as a reference to Queen Victoria, hence the name Victoria's Secret. Oh, I never knew that. I assumed it was like someone's wife's name or something. I know. You know? I thought it was his wife's name at first. But, you know, he was just, again, really fascinated with the level of sophistication, privacy that this the Victorian era held women to. Yeah. So he was super excited. In his first year, he started this mail order catalog and opened three stores in San Francisco. And the first year, the company generated $500,000. Wow. Actually, that's impressive. Which is pretty good, right? For year one? For year one. Did they have all three stores open in the first year? All three stores open in the first year. Wow. And the crazy thing that I never knew is Victoria's Secret actually charged for its catalog in the beginning, which is brilliant, right? Because so if you remember the catalog, I, I mean, mean, it was I like was so excited magazine. To get the catalog. Yeah. I mean, you like 
flipped through it. I mean, you hung on to it. Like you I loved it. And yeah. I mean, the magazine was so beautiful. It was like these sexy women in elegant backgrounds, exactly what he envisioned. You know, it wasn't trashy. Initially, it wasn't Initially, trashy. it wasn't trashy, you know. And because that was his vision. He wanted it sophisticated, elegant, and he wanted women to be portrayed in this different light than just go buy underwear at the store or he didn't want it trashy. Like Frederick's of Frederick's Hollywood. Of Hollywood. It didn't exactly. exist clearly because Victoria's Secret was the first, but that was like the trashy version later? Later okay. came out. And actually, I don't know when Frederick's actually started, but back then he was selling the catalogs for $3, which today it's equivalent to $8.05. That's fair. Which is Pretty cool. Yeah. So in 1982, catalog sales actually accounted for 55% of the company's $7 million annual sales. Holy shit. Which it was insane. more than half of the revenue just from selling the magazines. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, I mean, but brilliant that he was selling the catalog, which is unfortunate. I could not find anywhere what year they stopped selling the catalog because I don't ever remember paying for a catalog. No, we didn't pay for that. Right. I mean, when by the time I was getting catalogs in maybe the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, late 90s probably. No, we were not paying for them. Yeah. So again, in 1982, they were a $7 million business and it was still a minor player in the underwear market. I mean, Hanes, Fruit of the Loom, all those people were just way above Victoria's Secrets. So in 1982, my birth year, L Brands purchased Victoria's Secret for a million dollars. Wow. So- 1982, they had $7 million annual he, sales. He started it in 77? He started it in 77 and sold it in 82. That is super impressive for a million bucks. I mean, that I know it doesn't seem like a lot right now, but in, that's in 82. impressive. Wow. And so if you don't know L Brands, you know, they're formerly the limited brands. They own Bath & Body Works, The Limited, The Limited 2, yeah. and, and many yeah. more. So with the CEO of L Brands, Wexner, he purchased – Victoria's Secret, and he immediately wanted to change things. He wanted it to be more female-focused, adding new colors, patterns, styles, and he wanted to put this package of sexiness together that was tasteful, glamorous, but also had the snob appeal of European luxury. Mm -hmm. So he was still holding on to some of Roy's original vision, but he felt like when Roy created the store, it was very geared towards men and like the male shopping experience and what men wanted to see yeah. on women. So he was like, let's do new patterns. Let's get more trendy. Being the owner or CEO of L Brands, he had access to millions of fashion brands. Yeah. So. Kind of wanted to incorporate that. So in 1982, the New York Times reported that the financial success of the Victoria's Secrets catalog influenced other catalogs by presenting lingerie as romantic and sensual, but tasteful. So everyone saw this catalog and wanted to they create were emulating a catalog. It, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Victoria's Secret, Roy was brilliant for first of all, creating an alternative revenue stream for his lingerie business, and then really being this catalog that everyone wanted to emulate. Remember that? This is so random. Remember that store Delia's that we always used to get the catalog for when we were oh my God, in yeah. like high school? And it was like, you had to have it. There was no stores that I could remember. It was just mail order catalog. I wonder if that was influenced by the success of Victoria's Secret selling clothes via a catalog. And it's so funny because you were selling it and you would call to order. Yeah. Or you'd fill out a form and mail yeah, it in. Which, which is so funny. feels so antiquated. I know. So in 1985, Howard Gross became president. In October of that year, the LA Times reported that Victoria's Secret was stealing significant market share from department stores. Mm. So 
in the beginning, it was still, it was a great brand, but wasn't really stealing anything. But then 1986, department stores were really hurting because everyone wanted to have that experience. Yeah. And I mean, it really, if you do think about the reasoning, it's not personal when you go into the department store and you could buy a couch or a comforter or dishware, and then you'll also buy underwear. It doesn't feel comfortable. And it's also like you're buying lingerie next to people walking down the exactly. aisles. Like it's, it's just super awkward. weird. And and if you think about department stores, mainly what I think Victoria's Secret did so well is their sales associates were so educated in bra size, underwear, shapes, sizes, how to sell it. Like they were incredible. Your department store person, they didn't know anything about that. They're like chances are slim. Chances are slim. Unless it was like a Nordstrom where they really like trained each department, you know. Yeah. So that year, Victoria's Secret swiftly expanded to 100 stores. Holy moly. Which is crazy. Think about it. From three stores in 77 to 186. That's huge growth. And being the, you know, the only lingerie store dedicated to just lingerie. So in 1990, analysts estimated that sales had quadrupled in four years, making it one of the fastest growing mail order businesses. So sales and profits from the catalog continue to expand due to the addition of clothing, if you remember, swimwear. They had the best shoes. You know, they just kept adding products, which as everyone knows, if you own a business and you have one or two SKUs, you're never going to grow and expand as quick as you want. You need multiple SKUs Mm -hmm. to appeal to, you know, the masses. Okay, Cynthia... Fettis Fields, and I'm sorry if I messed that name up, she actually oversaw the company's direct business, including its catalog. And during her tenure, total revenues increased to nearly a billion dollars. Wow. So in 1987, Victoria's Secret was reported to be one of the best-selling catalogs and became the largest lingerie retailer in the United States. In 10 years, from 77 to 87, it was a billion-dollar company? Billion-dollar company. That's Insanity. Insanity. But then in the early 90s, the company started having problems with quality and production and sales declined. Mm. So they had to do something. Yeah. So they ended up launching commercials and not just commercials with any day women in underwear. They launched it with supermodels. Yeah. So Tyra Banks, Giselle, you name it. And it's interesting because these supermodels, some people kind of knew about them, but they weren't huge until these commercials really launched. And then they came out with the Miracle Bra and they sold 2 million the first year. Holy cow. But you think that's a lot, but they had fierce competition with Sarah Lee who created the Wonder Bra. Doesn't Sarah Lee also make like cakes and pies? (laughs) Yeah. Apparently she makes bras too. (laughs) I think it's probably a different Sarah Lee. Lee. Or Sarah Lee pivoted because that maybe. (laughs) She was like, shoot, I need to be out of the cake business. And make some bras. Yeah. And lingerie. So then in 1995, Ed Razik, the longtime chief marketing officer of L Brands, wanted to do something big. He wanted to blow Sara Lee out of the water. He wanted to do a stunt. And that stunt was brilliant. And guess what I think what I know what was? the stunt is. Is it the fashion show? It was the fashion show. I mean, the Victoria's Secret fashion show was so iconic until it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I still miss it. I think it was incredible. It was such an iconic event. Everyone wanted to attend it. And it started by invitation only. Like you had to be the elite of elite to get invited to this fashion show. Mm-hmm. And it first aired, you know, around the 
Valentine's Day holiday to yeah. capitalize on those Valentine's that Day sales. Sense. Yeah. And it was broadcast on primetime media. I mean, everyone wanted to watch it. It was the event of the year. Yeah. And the fashion show featured supermodels sporting skimpy lingerie while wearing massive wings, costume makeup, and elaborate accessories. Do you remember? I, I mean, totally do. I mean, I remember being enthralled and feeling like I shouldn't be watching this. It was somewhat like a carnival atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ed, he just wanted to create something that people were wowed by. And he was responsible for handpicking the models to walk the show. Because of this, he actually became one of the most important people in the modeling world because he launched the careers of Giselle, Tyra Banks, and Heidi Klum. That's crazy. He made That was those like girls. the Victoria's Secret Angels. Like if you were an angel, you could do anything. Yep. And that's a perfect segue. In 1997, he actually launched the Angels. Oh. And the idea came after they launched their Angels line. Mm-hmm. And they just named this line Angels. But then they took it a step further. And the commercials featured Tyra Banks, Heidi Klum, Giselle in heaven wearing angel wings. And they were beautiful. And... Everyone wanted to be an angel. It was like, in heaven, you get the perfect woman, right? And then from then on, the term angel really became synonymous with the brand. It totally did. I remember, yeah. And they, you know, they began integrating the angels into every fashion show. And in 1999, the show actually aired for the first time online. Yeah. And it was actually described as an internet-breaking moment. Of this era, It 1.5 million viewers tuned in, and it crashed the site. Similar to Blair Witch in 99. Yeah, <laughs> pretty crazy. Well, the internet wasn't, you know. It wasn't as big of a, it wasn't as normal then. Yeah, I don't so it was think easy it was. easy to crash. It was easy to crash. <laughs> and do you remember in that year, like how many people were, and that year and after, like I remember at U of A this one year. You were at U of A in 99. Well, not 99, but in 2000. So in 2000, that year, I remember there was this girl at Dirtbags and she was an angel. And we're all like, what? She's wearing her bra and underwear and an angel wings. So for Halloween? For Halloween. But it's crazy because back then, I mean, we wore skimpy clothes, but to wear a bra and underwear to a bar, even as a Halloween costume, that was pretty bold, right? Pretty bold. And we were all jealous because I remember her. She was like, of course the hottest of the hot chicks. You know, Mm -hmm. she had like perfect boobs. She was so skinny and of course was so tan. And she would just walk through dirtbags, which is the trashiest bar, by the way, in high heels and her bra and underwear and angel wings. And all the guys were like, what? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that's just what college is for. Just for moments like that, you know? Yeah, just, and I remember it was crazy. But now everyone wears shit like that, yeah. you know? I mean, I went into Old Town last weekend, and it's like normal to wear your bra and underwear now out in public, apparently. Yeah. yeah everyone's wearing legit a bra and cut-off shorts that look like underwear because they go, your entire butt cheek is showing. <laughs> like, what is it? So I just want to point out that when you start complaining about the clothes that the kids these days are wearing, it just is like another indication that I mean, <laughs> I'm old and I like to dress, you know, cute, cute and yeah. you know, little skimpy, but I don't you walk wear around with underwear. no. And I I got to leave a little something to the imagination. Well, I just went to we were in Santa Barbara and we were trying on these shorts and they were like surfer shorts and I tried them on and I walked out and you know, I was like is is my butt supposed to be hanging out? I don't think this is normal. Like, that's not cool. So anyways, I digress. 
back to Ed. Yes. So he hired the best photographers, best directors, film crew. I mean, he wanted to make these commercials and the fashion show perfect. Mm -hmm. And I think he did an amazing job. I mean, I remember being blown away by it. I mean, it was one of the most anticipated events of the year. And every year it just kept getting better and better. And so in 2001, they shifted to airing the show Instead of before Valentine's Day, they start airing it pre-Christmas to oh, capitalize smart. on, you know, Christmas. And then it still leads into Valentine's yeah. Day because they're so close together. And of course, that year, Ed, he wanted to launch something that generated an obscene amount of buzz. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what he launched? Hang on. 2001. It was like the talk. It was when this woman walked, Giselle, walked down the runway it was yes, bling, I vaguely bling, remember, I'll give but you I cannot. Blinged out boobies. Yes, it was like a diamond bra or something crazy, right? It was a fifteen million dollar diamond bra, and of course, it was for sale, but no one bought it. But no one bought it. Yeah, because yeah. it's just the stunt. Well, it was funny because it was actually a diamond and ruby encrusted fantasy bra, and you, it was in the catalog, I but know. no one bought no it. One. I mean, maybe someone did, but we don't know. But the buzz it generated oh, around yeah. their holiday collection was insane. Yeah. And obviously the PR, like the most expensive bra ever. I mean, was- that's like a gold mine for PR and that's the kind of stuff we look for. Like, it's just fun to have those things, to throw them out there and get the media all excited about it. But then, I'm not, I mean, this could be a whole nother episode. Google the most expensive lingerie bras, underwear, beds are now millions of dollars. Oh. It's crazy that that's like for some of these celebrities, like the Kardashians, I mean, like a $15 million bra is like normal. Oh my God, no way. That's just stupid. That's like wasting money. Come on. Exactly. But I mean, it was a shocker, but he did, he was an incredible marketer. I mean, oh, he yeah. knew how to get people's attention. I mean, launching the fashion show on primetime television in the 90s, super risky and big payoff for the brand. Exactly. But he was not just a genius for hiring these drop-dead gorgeous women. He also hired other models that quickly became brand ambassadors. And they were more relatable and approachable. So Adriana Lima Mm -hmm. and Miranda Kerr exploded, not just because they were drop-dead gorgeous, but they could a lot of women could relate to them. They were more approachable women and the brand just took off. Yeah. And that's really when they launched Pink and all these other things. And it just, Ed was very strategic in who he put as the Victoria's Secret face, you know, of the brand. Yeah. But then, you know. The controversy begins. The controversy begins. All things have to get a little wild. You know, Ed just took things a little too far. And in my opinion, he started getting just way too far from Roy's original concept of yeah, like of beauty. These beautiful Victorian and era secret. women. Yeah. It's not secret anymore when you're on the runway with all things around out. everything out for everyone to see. Yeah. So and poor Roy, tragically, he was not alive. He actually jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge in ninety-three. Why? I don't know. After it, selling his company? Yeah. He must stress. I don't know what went on. Oh my God, that's so sad. I know. So he sold his company and that's what you think about when you sell your company, you want your legacy and what your original brand vision was. But unfortunately, that never happens. So in 2000, Sharon Jester Turney came on as the CEO of Victoria's Secret. Oh, so is this the first female CEO? First female CEO. And she wanted to remove these hooker looks in the catalog. (laughs) And she just wanted to make it look like Vogue rather than Playboy. So she became CEO of the whole brand in 2006, and during her nine-year tenure, the company thrived. I mean, sales increased by 70%. 
Wow. Is that crazy? That's a huge increase. And it seemed like a great start to the turnaround of the brand. Yeah. But then between 2016 and 2018, Victoria's Secret's market share just dropped from 33% to 24%. And a lot of shoppers kept complaining, like the quality of its underwear and the bras just Not kept worth declining. The cost. And it was expensive. It was so expensive. And really, I think that also had to do with Mr. Ed. Really? Some brilliant comments he decided to make. He was with he, Vogue. I remember him being a little, a little bit of a shyster. Well, in 2018, Vogue interviewed him, and he said that the brand would not be using transgender or plus-size models on its runway show because it's a fantasy, and no one has an interest in watching plus-size models or transgenders walk down the runway. He said that in 2018? In 2018. Wow. And was he still the CMO then? Yeah. Hasn't he kind of aged out? I mean, he people. He was iconic. Like people still look to him as this guy who was this brilliant marketer. Yeah. But as everyone knows, keep your mouth shut, dude. I mean, if you he don't didn't have anything to nice that. to say, don't say anything at all. But and, also, the world was changing at that time. If you let your person, I don't know, this is hard, but like, I get you are in charge of the brand, and like your personal beliefs can like dictate it a little bit. But if you're that big, and this was a publicly traded company at this point. Okay, you got to keep your personal beliefs out. I mean, the world's changing. You got to change with the world if you want to be relevant. I mean, clearly Ed did not have you by his side. So, and of course, this lit a firestorm of criticism. And guess what? This co-CEO and co-founder of Third Love. Do you know what Third Love yeah, is? it's the broad company that's more internet-based. Yeah, and it's more, it's like customizable. It's for everyone. I mean, it's I all bought about- them. I wasn't super impressed, but... That's a story for a different day. <laughs> story for a different day. <laughs> so she initially responded on Instagram, but she was pissed. So she actually took out a full-page ad in New York Times, and this is what she wrote. It was an open letter to Victoria's Secret in big pink font, and the text of the letter was shared in a caption, and this is how it starts. Dear Victoria's Secret, I was appalled when I saw the demeaning comments about women your chief marketing officer, Ed Razik, made to Vogue last week. After quoting the offensive comments, she goes on to write, I've read and reread the interview at least 20 times, and each time I read it, I'm even more angrier. How in 2018 can the CMO of any public traded company, let alone one that claims to be for women, make such shocking derogatory statements? Preach, so preach, true. girl, preach. And Zach went on to criticize Victoria's Secret's male gaze marketing approach, willful ignorance about the lives of everyday women, and dismissal of the inclusivity as a fad. Your show may be a fantasy, but we live in reality, Mr. Ed. Our reality is that women wear bras in real life as they go to work, they breastfeed their children, play sports, care for ailing parents, and serve their country. She reminds the brand that women have moved past antiquated gender roles and limited concepts of femininity, (laughs) declaring that it's up to women to decide what makes them sexy. I mean, and it goes on and on, and I'm definitely going to put this in our post, but I mean, she was pissed. And she had a right to me. I agree with everything she's saying. I mean, it's 2018. It's not, again— Different conversation if it was the year 2000, not that it should be any different, but the world wasn't in the same place. We didn't have the acceptance of transgender people or an understanding that everybody is different, is beautiful, right? Like, know the world you're living in. 
You, you have you have to be aware of that stuff. Yep. So, and actually, in 2018, it really affected the show, too. Of course it did. The show only drew 3.3 million viewers down from 9.7 million yeah, I mean, the year before. He effed it up royally. So, in 2019, the brand announced that it would no longer air the fashion show. Did it fire Ed? Well, soon after, Ed announced his retirement, and many people were shocked but knew it was because, guess what, Victoria's Secret did. What? They announced that the lingerie brand presented its first transgender model in their marketing. So he didn't agree with it, so he retired? Or they just fired him? He retired. I mean... And the crazy thing is, soon after that, a string of leadership members resigned as well. And this began the major decline of the brand, Mm -hmm. which... I think it was good that all these, you know, old school mentalities actually retired mm-hmm. and resigned because, you know, whether they had their certain views, they were not ready to adapt. They couldn't to the world. progress the brand yeah. to where it needs to be to to survive. Nope. And then obviously in 2019, COVID hit and they announced they were closing stores. And then models started speaking out about why they didn't want to work with the brand. It was bad. And then it got really bad. Billionaire Jeffrey Epstein was indicted on charges related to sex trafficking, and he was convicted for committing crimes between 2002 and 2005 involving victims as young as 14. Mm -hmm. We all know this story too well. It was not good. And even though Epstein never worked for Victoria's Secrets, it was well known that he was like best friends with Wexler, Mm -hmm. who was the CEO of Limited Brands and obviously Victoria's Secret. He probably had a front row seat at all those fashion shows. And the crazy thing is, it came out in all these articles that Epstein actually said, like, hey, if you hang out with me, I can get you as a, like in with Victoria's Secret. So he was using that relationship to lure these girls in and then sell them. It's disgusting. And the other crazy thing is, the investigation also found out that two executives discovered that Epstein was up to this, and they told Wexler, and he, we- and he just turned his head because he was friends with them. Mm-hmm. Disgusting. And, and there you know, were a lot of people like Nothing that. pisses me off more than trafficking. I mean, I told you, I'm like ready to get in put there. some guns on and go undercover. I was denied by my husband because he said I should protect our family and not do that. But I would totally do it. Yeah. I mean, it's a scary, scary thing. I mean, it is a, it's horrible. So, you know what? Rightfully so. Yeah. Victoria's Secret, if he was smart, he should have turned Jeff in. Yeah. Totally. I mean, definitely change needed to happen. I mean, and if that means Victoria's Secret had to go down because of this change, then so be it. Well, it didn't completely go down. But not only, you know, Victoria's Secret faced sex trafficking, body shaming, denial of transgenders, and they really, again, just failed to respond to the world we're living in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Me Too movement was happening at this time, and all these other clothing brands were responding, like, with cool new campaigns, and Victoria's Secret just ignored it. So they kind of deserved it. So, it, you know, they kept sticking to the same playbook, and they lost tons of customers, and Competition started coming out, like Third Love, Blake Lively's brand, everyone showing different body types. The world's changing, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously, Victoria's Secret didn't. But fast forward to now. 
I think one great thing did come out of this pandemic. Ooh, what? Because a private equity firm swallowed $2 billion in revenue and purchased Victoria's Secret. Mm. So now there are seven women famous for their achievements and not their proportions Ooh. who are now making up the VS Collective. Awesome. Super cool. I, this is the first I've heard of this. So they include Megan, and I'm sorry if I, again, pronounce any of these names wrong, Rapineau, a 35-year-old pink-haired soccer star and gender equity campaigner, Eileen Gu, a 17-year-old Chinese-American freestyle skier and soon-to-be Olympian, a 29-year-old biracial model and exclusive advocate for plus-size women, uh-huh. and Pyrinka, these names are so hard, <sighs> Chopra Jonas, a 38-year-old Indian actor and tech investor. Awesome. So like some badass chicks. Yeah, who are like breaking norms, right? Yep. And they're like doing so, cool shit. And they're spearheading what may be the most extreme and unbashed attempt at a brand turnaround in recent history. I mean, for sure it's extreme because people are pissed. I haven't walked into a Victoria's Secret store in ages. In Have ages. you? Nope. And their goal, they need to redefine the version of sexy that Victoria's Secret is putting out. I mean, Agree. they have a huge challenge. And the, you know, the chief marketing officer is, everyone's warning them, like, you got to be careful. If you go too far in the wrong direction, it could kill the brand. Yeah. So, which I think is really cool that they have this many women. So everyone has different opinions. You know, I think that they're a great team. It's not just one woman spearheading this initiative. Yeah. So the collective will advise the brand and they're going to appear in ads and on Instagram. Oh, so they're so the collective is actually like an advisory board, but they're also models for the brand. And the voice. Like they're going to be showing up on Instagram, talking, like being themselves, being real advocates for the brand, which Humanizing is awesome. the brand in like a way that was never done before because even when it was the angels on the runway, it was not human. It was, it was godlike, right? Yep. It was like dreamlike. It was fake. Yep. I mean- so now there are more women in charge, including a new chief marketing officer, Martha Pease, and she was the one who had this idea to come up with the collective. Like, she could have easily said, take my ideas, I'm going to guide the brand, but no, she decided to form this collective and humanize the brand, which is brilliant. It was the o- actually, I want to say, I think that was the only thing she could have done to turn this around. Like, she had to embrace women who were so different from who Victoria's Secret ever used in marketing before and get not just say they're appearing in ads, she had to make them a part of the brand decisions and voice and story for this to turn around. I cannot wait to see where this goes. It's incredible. And this is brand new in 2021? Brand new. So now the stores are becoming lighter and brighter and the mannequins, which have typically been, you know, size 32B and like 100 pounds. Anyways are going to all be in different shapes and sizes. And the angel imagery is going away. Wow. Yeah. It's the end of an era. Yep. And the company will, you know, they're still going to sell lacy lingerie and thongs, but it's going to change and expand in new areas like sportswear. And this is crazy to me. This year, they unveiled their first ever Mother's Day ad. They never celebrated Mother's Day until this year. Because they, Ed said mothers weren't, like, pregnant women were not sexy. Is that horrible? douchebag. Yeah. And the leadership Sorry. team never <laughs> let them sell maternity or nursing bras. So now this year- I never realized that. 
I know. Isn't that crazy? So this year, they they put this ad out, which she is so cute. Look at that belly. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they launched their new maternity line. It's like a beautiful pregnant woman who's just like head up, basking, happy, holding her belly and wearing like a beautiful robe. So cute. And the other cool thing is, so Raul Martinez, yeah, just joined as the creative director. And guess why he joined? Because he's maybe proud of... Did he used to be a woman? No. It was because his daughter. So his daughter like begged him and said, dad, you have to do this. She said, the brand needs a new purpose, a reason, and a voice. And she said, dad, do it for us. Do it for the Gen Zs. And so in this cool interview with Vogue, he talks about like why he joined because of his daughter. And now he's going to lean on her for a lot of advice, but he's excited to just transform the brand into, you know, something that is for everyone and doesn't make girls feel like they have to fit into that 32B negative. Yeah, I'm so happy you know? about that because I have two girls and like body image is such a major issue. And I love this like Visco, Gen Z and younger like demo because they just, it, they don't outwardly care about weight and size. It really isn't a thing, and I hope it stays that way. Oh, I agree. You know? I mean, I think social media kills it because there's still all these stupid pictures that girls feel, like, pressured. But I I think the best thing that we can do is just keep encouraging everyone. I mean, not just girls. No, I boys mean, too. I there's know. There's, like, everything. a major eating disorder situation with boys. So we got to encourage everyone. Yeah, so you're so right. But the crazy thing is the brand was a $7 billion business pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And much of that $7 billion was built on like this sexy image. Mm-hmm. So this new approach could catapult sales or it could make them decline. I think it's going to catapult. I'm going to have faith that the world is ready for this direction. And guess what? In 2022, the fashion show is coming back. <gasps> oh, I'm excited to see the transition. Yeah. And so they are, you know, they're going to change it. It's going to be a new form. It's, they are talking about, they still want it to be like the most anticipated event of the year, but it's going to feature all shapes and sizes, transgenders, everyone. About damn time. And then the other cool thing is it's going to also start doing a podcast oh. that the women of the collective are going to run. And they're just going to talk about real stories, who they are, you know, why they're excited about the brand and and real life issues. I freaking love it. So what do you think? It's going to stick? I hope it sticks because this is the direction the world's moving. And if you can't get on board, you shouldn't be around. I agree. I mean, it just is what it is. All right. Well, I kind of want to go buy some new bras. I know. <laughs> well, I told you, I'm going to plug my other favorite place, what? Adore Me. It's the it's cutest like stuff. cheesy. It's like no. cheapy, isn't it? It's, it's like TV commercial, like when you can get the cheap shoes too for like 29 bucks a month. No, it's not cheap. They're like still 30 to $40 bra, but they come in and you can pick your style uh-huh. and then they ship you a box every month and you can keep what you want. Bras, underwears, bathing suits, pajamas. Like I got the cutest pajamas the other day. They're just like boy shorts and like a cute tank. Yeah. So soft. So you can, I mean, mm-hmm. I have to say they're more customizable, still can be sexy, practical, whatever. Okay. I might have to give it a You know, try. maybe you could start wearing matching brown underwear. I think. <laughs> for those firefighters. <laughs> okay. Let's thank my sources. Vogue had amazing articles and also Adweek. And Wikipedia, as always, had an insane amount of information. Yeah. I'll link them all in the show notes. And awesome. 
Well, thank you, Alexis. That was awesome. I'm excited to shop at Victoria's Secret now. (laughs) Um, Maybe again. And we hope that you loved this episode and we hope that you'll come back next week for another great story. As always, we would love, love, love for you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and you can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts. We're on Instagram at willitstickpodcast and our source materials are on our website at willitstickpodcast.com. See you next week. Bye. Bye.